You're listening to the Free to Be Mindful podcast, which provides bite-sized tips for busy parents, educators, and anyone working with kids. These real talk conversations focus on mindful living, mental health, and personal growth, helping all to learn, grow, and inspire with mindfulness in mind. I'm your host, Vanessa de Jesus Guzman, educator, licensed professional counselor, entrepreneur, and mom. I'm passionate about helping folks live life with peace of mind and ease of heart while not losing their, well, you know, here we go. Hi, and welcome back to the Free to Be Mindful podcast. I hope that you're feeling good, looking good, and doing better in this world than you were yesterday. So sometime this summer, I connected with Christy from the Sassy Says podcast. We had a super juicy conversation in all things mindfulness and therapy in regards to kids and in regards to moms. The conversation was so juicy that we spoke for nearly an hour. It aired on the Sassy Says podcast in November, and Christy was gracious enough to share the audio so that you can listen here on the Free to Be Mindful podcast as well. So if you're a faithful Free to Be Mindful listener, I know that you're used to the bite-sized episodes, usually 20 minutes and under. So for your convenience, I have went ahead and broke the podcast into three parts. So today you're going to be listening in to the second of three parts where we discussed a few things, including why I became a therapist, school counseling versus private practice counseling, why would you want to take your child to therapy, how therapy plays a part in various cultures, tips on when your own child goes to therapy, and managing your child's big feelings. I hope you have lots of fun listening into the conversation. Here we go. I want you to talk a little bit about why you became a therapist. Um, I think that that story is, is definitely worth, worth sharing here. Okay. Um, I remember, I think it was my second or third year teaching. I used to teach second grade. Um, and I don't even know what was, what was happening prior to the situation, but it was something that happened so fast. And one of my kiddos, he, um, swung a table that kind of like flipped and almost hurt another student Mm -hmm. and I had to physically restrain him and thankfully the district had already taught us how to do that in a safe way Um, and he was a bigger kid you know for second Mm -hmm. grade Um, so it was tough thankfully it was the end of the day all the students left you know and and the, the administration came and they were able to help me with the student And then that was it. But I remember afterwards, my tears just coming out because I never thought that as an educator, as a teacher, I'd have to physically restrain a kid. Mm -hmm. Um, And it was thereafter where I started thinking, do I want to do this forever? Um, While still noticing this is my thing. I, I always knew I wanted to be a teacher. I always knew since kindergarten, I wanted to work with kids. I really think that's what I was put on this earth to do. Mm-hmm. Um, but I noticed that I had more of an interest of how that kiddo turned out afterwards. I had more of an interest in talking to the school counselor where I worked and how she was helping the kids more so than understanding like the math curriculum, you know, even mm-hmm. though that was important. But I saw that my passion was pulling me in that direction. And after that instance, then that's when I um, enrolled in a grad program to become a school counselor. And once I was in the program, and even once I was a school counselor, 
it's amazing how the the different types of relationships that you can build with kids inside the classroom, but when it's outside of the classroom and they you don't they don't have the expectation of this person is trying to teach me, you know, math or science or language arts, but this person is really trying to connect with me. I thrived on on that on that whole process, on that whole experience. Um, however, I saw that a little bit of a stop sign because in a school you could only go so far it's mm -hmm. only until you know how you're helping the child reach academic success and a lot of these kids needed so much more and that's when I knew I not only want to help kids in a school but I also want to have my own practice after school because I have the time for that and then can go <laughs> into those deeper levels of helping kids out um, you know with their mental health in a different way than you can in a school yeah I'm wondering now, so having worked with kids as a school counselor and now having a private practice, how is the work for you different other than I know you just said, you know, in school, you can only really go so far in terms of their academic achievement and what you're there to do, like almost like stay in your lane, you know, right. um, but I'm wondering, I guess, I guess what I'm getting at is to have to work with kids in your private practice, I you have to, I guess, have had have parents who are open to therapy. I Absolutely. Mean, not everyone is. And uh, I'm yeah. wondering, do you what is what what are the types of parent like I don't know, what kind of parent is open to therapy? Like what is what what's going through their minds? Is it their traits or what? Like what? I don't know. You're nodding, so I feel like you get me, but I don't really know I how I'm asking. I don't know how to ask what I want to ask. <laughs> completely understand your question. And I will share with you that in a, before in that gap, being a school counselor and it, having my own private practice, I've worked for an agency doing in-home um, therapy. So I will say that when I had the in-home experience, Sometimes it was something that had to be done because of the division of um, children and family services. Mm -hmm. And it wasn't perhaps something that um, a parent signed up for. Sometimes it was voluntary. Sometimes it was not. Mm -hmm. So I've worked with families where sometimes it's resistant and I was in their home at that. Oh right. So it's kind of like, all right, Ooh, this lady's here again. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Like let's try to, you know, let's just hope the hour goes fast. Mm -hmm. um, so I've worked with that type of family and, I still love it. And they have a place in my heart because all families need help, you know, in, in, in some way or another, but especially when there's a mental health need. Um, but in a private practice, yes, I am working with parents who see the value, who are willing to pay out of pocket, who are willing to take time out of their schedule and their child's busy schedule because they see the value in counseling and they know that their child can grow or can make a change. And sometimes it's for them. Sometimes it's for the parent-child relationship. So I have a lot of sessions where I bring families in with their child. Sometimes they're littles, as I say, like seven, eight, nine. Mm -hmm. Sometimes they're bigs, 15, 16, 17. And we have a session together. Mm -hmm. And it is a beautiful thing once the session is done and you see how the energy shifts between, you know, when, especially having a teen, right? The teen on one side of the couch and the parent on the other, and everybody has yes. a face on. Yes. Um, and then by the end where they really come to an understanding in the way that they communicate, come mm -hmm. to an understanding in the way that they listen to each other, as opposed to just wanting to respond um, and really coming to an understanding of 
I get you, you know, and I'm willing to make these changes in order to, to get you more and have you get me more. Mm-hmm. Um, so there is a difference in working with, you know, out of a school where just academic in home where sometimes they don't want you there. And then in a private practice where, you know, you're getting paid outside um, of the school to do something more. Yeah. What are what are some of the common instances that a parent would feel moved to have their child see a therapist? Yeah, I always say if you see your child's everyday life being impacted by um, something else that's happening, so they're no longer perhaps if they were happy or even if they were kind of like, you know, a little bit flat, if anything about them changes, because something is impacting their everyday attitude, then you got to do a little bit of a deeper dive. Like what's happening, what's happening in school, what's happening at home, what's happening in their personal lives. And if you can't get to that at home on your own, that's when coming to therapy is a good idea. Mm -hmm. And it doesn't mean that your child has to have depression or, or anxiety. Sometimes that is the case. Sometimes it's as simple as your child's having a hard time navigating social relationships in school, Mm -hmm. you know, or having a hard time navigating having a really tough teacher that year or really putting high expectations on themselves. Or sometimes it's a family Mm -hmm. putting high expectations on the child and not even noticing. So not everything is a super diagnosable case, but you can still seek outside help in different types of instances. Yeah, I think that that is, in my view, and I would be curious your opinion, one of the most common misconceptions about therapy is that something has to be wrong with you. Something traumatic has to have happened by, and when I say traumatic, I mean generally accepted trauma, you know, the big ones, not just, like you said, I mean, having a tough teacher for a little kid that's true. That could be traumatic, you know? Yeah. Um, do you, I mean, in, are, is there any, would there be any other misconceptions about your work or about therapy that you'd want to add to that? I think there are different um, misconceptions, not just in general society, but also in different cultures as well. Oh, yeah. Whereas, oh, you know, my, we can't go talk to anybody else. And that means my kid is crazy and my kid's not crazy. I'm not crazy. Right. Or that means I'm a bad parent or I failed somehow. I failed my kid somehow. And I'm not supposed to ask anybody else for help because we're supposed to just have it. Yeah. Or that means that, you know, my own mom and dad, right? Or my child's grandparents, that means that they're not helping me enough, or perhaps our church or, you know, community is not Mm. helping us enough. So there's a lot of different things that sometimes stand in the way, hurdles that stand in the way of families making that step um, to start to seek out therapy. And I always start my very first session, always with letting families know, I know I'm a stranger right now, and you're about to your guts to me. (laughs) I acknowledge that because it is hard to take that first step. But once you find somebody that you connect with and that your kid connects with, and that might or might not be the first person you talk to, but once you find that and you see those small, you know, levels of success, those small changes that you perhaps may be making or your child may be making, then you know you've made, you know, the right decision for your kid or for yourself. Yeah. And as you were talking culturally, I'm also thinking generationally, right? I mean, just as we go on, each generation gets more and more open to therapy, mental health, just learning so much more about it and realizing that it's not this taboo, scary, 
world. It's it's real life. It's just being willing to open yourself up and and look at it and talk about it. Absolutely. I'm first generation. And sometimes my parents Mm -hmm. still ask me like, well, what are you helping people with? And like, (laughs) people are actually paying you for this. (laughs) And I'm like, yeah, they are like, you've raised me well. And and school is great. (laughs) I know what I'm doing. Yeah, well, I'm sure. I'm sure that that I'm sure that that's been hard for you too at times, right? I mean, just having your own parents not understand fully what you're going through. Um, and what you do. I mean, I I feel like I've, I've had that a little bit, right? My, my um, mom is was always very, let's talk, let's do this. We were very close. And um, she always talked to me about spirituality and things like that. So she's very open. But in this past year, I've struggled a bit with depression, anxiety, postpartum, a little bit. And I think what I'm learning and what maybe she isn't as hip with (laughs) is Mm -hmm. is that it's it's not really an illness right it's just life you know yes I feel like sometimes she as close as we are she can have these kind of kid gloves on with me and I'm just like you know what I'm just having a day I'll be fine tomorrow you know (laughs) (laughs) yeah and we all go through different things throughout our lives Again, it doesn't mean that you need to be in therapy forever, but we all can think of different things, whether it be, you know, perhaps some going away to college or, you know, going into the workforce or transitional changes, or if we've lost somebody that we love, just different things in our lives that we can think of, "Mm, perhaps I needed, you know, perhaps talking to someone else would have helped me more than just me doing it on my own. Yeah. So, yeah. Yeah. Do you have any advice for parents who are saying, okay, I want to take my kid to see a therapist or, or just explore this best practices for the parents um, if they're not going to be attending the sessions with the kids? I mean, do you find, is it something that they should be talking to them about, asking them about after, leave it, leave it to you and them? You know, what are some best practices for the parents with having a child seeing a therapist? Yeah, I'll say before answering that direct question, even before making the decision to reach out to a therapist, my tip would be turn off the outside noise, Mm -hmm. right? So forget what Instagram is saying, forget what your friends are saying, forget even a moment, perhaps what your family may think of it and just do what you feel in your heart and in your soul that your child needs. Mm. And if that's going to therapy, then go to therapy and find somebody that so works important. for you and works for your kid. Yeah. yeah. Cause sometimes that outside noise can be really loud and then um, kind of cloud our judgment and our, our, our calls that we would make otherwise. Mm-hmm. So when your kid is going in, and this is a question that I get often from um, parents even before, sometimes they come in and they say, my child needs therapy, but I haven't told them that I was meeting with you yet. So (laughs) what do I do? (laughs) And for that, I personally, like on my website, I have a page that's a kids only page so they can get to meet me and understand a little bit of what therapy is and how things go and how we start and how we end. And I also stress confidentiality because with kids, especially tweens and teens, they want to make sure that I'm not going to be sharing with their parents what they're telling me. And I make a case for that with the parents as well, that 
you know, you're not going to be told word for word of what your child is saying, but I do share general themes with getting your child's permission at that because your child is the client. Um, so I let my parents know that and let the kids know that. So with um, that's with older ones with littles, I just have parents tell the kids, you know, it's somebody who helps out with feelings, right? So, and sometimes they know most likely what a school counselor is in school. So it's like a school counselor, but outside of school. And that's like an easy way to get kind of a kid through the door of, I'm going to go see this lady or this guy or whomever. Um, and, and this is what they're going to be helping me with. Mm. As far as after sessions, um, you know, sometimes they really see that time, kids see that time as their own time. And imagine if you yourself had a therapy session and then your parent or your partner or spouse or friend said, well, how'd it go? And what'd you talk about? <laughs> you know, it would be kind of like an intrusion of your privacy. Yes. Um, so you can also, you know, how, how it went. And if they just say good, then just keep it moving. And understanding that someone who works with children will involve the parents and will let you know how things are going at appropriate times. So you're not completely left in the dark if you're taking your child to counseling. Mm. Hopefully that all made sense. It did. I'm sure that that is so hard for parents. We want to know everything, right? I mean, we just yes. want to know what's going on in those little brains. <laughs> what, um, what age group do you have the most experience with within your private practice? Um, oh, right now it's a little bit of everything. I think I have the most kind of seven to 10 and then later on 15 to 17 at this very moment that always changes. All right. So I, you know, just because this is my show, my kids are <laughs> much younger. My oldest is three and a half, but thinking about them getting older, wanting them to feel like there's this open line of communication between them and me wanting that our home and our relationship to be a safe space for for communication do you have any advice that i could start to implement now or when do we start to implement whatever it is you're about to tell me i do to make that happen <laughs> Yeah. And I mean, we can start implementing things as soon as our kids are like six months old. So it starts early as far as really enhancing things to um, to grow their emotional intelligence. So with a baby and we do it naturally without putting a label of this is, you know, working on emotional intelligence. So we look <laughs> at them, we smile, we goo goo gaga, right? Or, or whatever, you know, baby thing it is that we do. And in that same communication, our kids are learning how to read our facial expressions, mm. how to read our body language, how to read when my parents smiles, I smile back and then they go crazy for it. <laughs> so they're making all of these connections um, from the time that they're babies, toddlerhood, which is <laughs> sometimes I'm, can like, be a monster. I'm, I'm struggling. <laughs> I'm struggling. Toddlers are tough. <laughs> They really are tough. And I laugh because as I think back at my experience, I always say I myself am not perfect and I myself lose my marbles as well. So <laughs> I definitely have had those moments that I'm like, the banana just broke in half. Why is he on the floor? Bananas are the worst tantrum? fruit on the face of the earth. The strings, do you want it cut up? Do you want to eat it whole? The the skin when they're done it's a whole thing Anything. bananas if they have like the brown spots in oh the middle, my god thing. forget um, it and you can't so, even yeah. just cut the brown spot off it's like the whole banana goes in the trash it's horrible yes 
that's the first example that comes to mind yes. when I think of when my kid was a toddler. Yes. So we first have to understand that they are irrational beings. <laughs> that sometimes we cannot rationalize with them when they have just lost it, right? Mm -hmm. So understanding that sometimes us trying to talk sense into them when they are little incredible hulks, it's just not going to work. And that's when they just need mommy or daddy or whomever to hug them, to love them and help them calm down emotionally so that they can think rationally. And then we have those conversations and not in a, I told you so, or mm -hmm. didn't you hear what I said? I knew that was going to happen kind of way but really giving them the words so that they can identify their own emotions because through our conversation, whether it be in this specific example or in any example, they are learning from us all the time. So if we say, you must be so frustrated because that banana has brown spots today, right there, we're giving the word frustrated. And then they'll say, yeah, I'm, I am frustrated or I am mad or I wanted blank. And have, and again, it takes time. And sometimes you just oh, want to pull your hair out and keep it moving. <laughs> but it's all a learning experience that they're getting from you. And then next time, perhaps they won't have the tantrum. And, and, or perhaps they'll still smush down the smushy banana on the floor, but they may say, I'm so frustrated. And that in and of itself is a win because mm -hmm. then, now they've used some words instead of just crying. Right. And little by little, the meltdowns, perhaps on this one topic, decrease. And they'll increase in another area, <laughs> but <laughs> they'll decrease in here. And then they get more words from there. So I think talking to our kids um, so that they just hear the language um, and also apologizing to them as needed mm -hmm. because we make mistakes as well so when they see wow you know in this in, in our case you know mommy's really mad and, and she yelled and she apologized that will help them then apologize when they see that the situation calls for that and in addition to that even saying mommy needs a timeout right now and not in the timeout like go to the corner think about what you've done mm -hmm but I need space to take a deep breath because I'm so mad that I just need a moment. Modeling. And it's okay to, yes, it's yeah. okay to verbalize that to our kids because we're modeling what to do. And then they in turn will know when I'm frustrated, I need a moment. So I'm going to do this or I'm going to listen to music or blow some bubbles or take a walk so that I don't explode. And we'll talk about it as soon as that time is done. Yeah. I, I, I've heard this from you on your show before, and I've heard it from other people, and I know the things. I know the it's things. Hard, it's so hard. Oh, I know. It's I know. so hard, especially if, you know, it's become much harder now having the other kid in the dynamic because mm. it's the push and pull constantly. If one is happy, the other one isn't, and then they influence the other one. And I'm, I just want to like, just you have this side of the house, you have that side of the house. That doesn't work because he's one and a half, and he's a, a bulldozer. He just gets involved in everything. But it's it's, it's a juggling act. I know. I think that that's that's what's been most difficult for me is, you know, the juggling act of the two kids, the two dynamics, but also, like we said with mindfulness, it's not going to work 
time number one. And you know what? With toddlers, it might not work at time number 12 either. It's yeah. just somehow you got to keep doing it. <laughs> yeah. And understanding that at the end of the day, your kids may be mad at that moment, but they still love you no matter what. Mm. And you'll make mistakes and you'll lose your cool and you'll yell but your kids will still love you and they'll know, you know, hopefully that you still love them, but having that communication and, and, you know, letting them know that you care for them, apologizing when needed and having conversations of, you know, well, I should have did this instead of that, or next time I know that you will make this better choice instead of, you know, the tantrum or whatever have you. It's really okay because that's what motherhood is, right? They don't come with manuals. There's, I mean, there's books upon books upon books that we read, but each kid is so different, even within the same household, that we're just doing our best and we just get up the next day and continue to do our best because that's all we can do. So I hope you enjoyed that conversation as much as I did. Please be sure to show Christy some love on her podcast called Sassy Says Podcast. And be sure to tune in next week for the final part of our three-part conversation. And if you kind of forget sometimes to tune into your favorite podcast, you can simply hit subscribe or follow on your favorite platform so the episode can just pop up whenever a new episode is released. And as always, remember, in a world where you are free to be anything that you want to be, you are always free to be mindful. Thanks so much and catch you next time. I hope you enjoyed this week's show. It would mean a ton if you took this moment to review the Free to Be Mindful podcast on the platform you catch your favorite shows. That quick and easy act lets me know what you enjoy and it helps others find the podcast too. And of course, don't forget to subscribe so you can listen along next week. In the meantime, I welcome you to catch me on social media at Counselor V De Jesus. And as always, remember, in a world where you are free to be anything that you want to be, you are always free to be mindful. Catch you next week.